Welcome to the Coffee and Catnaps Parenting Podcast, brought to you by Lake Country Sleep. I'm your host, Erin. I am a boy mom, avid coffee drinker, sleep consultant, and expert in early childhood development and education. I hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome to this episode of the Coffee and Catnaps Parenting Podcast. I have with me a guest who is returning to the show for another chat with me. Jennifer Van Rossum is here with me today. Jennifer, welcome to the show again. Thank you. It's so nice to be here with you. For those who haven't heard our previous episode and conversation, um, would you mind just doing another brief introduction of who you are, what you do, a little bit about your background? Sure. So I'm a psychotherapist in private practice, and I'm also a mental wellness educator and consultant. So I see clients, I see kids 13 and up and adults and um, couples in my therapeutic practice. And then I also founded an organization called Five Peaks. And at Five Peaks, my mission is to expand mental wellness outside the walls of therapy. So I bring events and classes into the community to help build resilience and well-being. Which I think is just an amazing, amazing mission because, you know, from someone who has benefited from seeing a counselor and going to therapy, um, there sometimes can be like a negative connotation with that. And I feel like just having the outlet that you do and being able to bring it outside of those walls is just, it's very important. And I'm so thankful that you are able to do that. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important that we normalize it. um, Just like we go to the dentist, or we go to our medical doctor. (laughs) And, And that's really important for our kids to learn from the beginning, too. Oh, 100%. Um, That's not something I ever grew up with, but my children will be knowing that, you know, if you're not feeling well here, it's going to affect other areas of your life. Just like if, you know, you have a broken arm, like you're not going to be able to use that in a normal way. You need to help it heal before you can again. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And in my practice too, um, you know, I, I very much believe that you don't have to have a problem to go to therapy. You know, sometimes we go to therapy just to build upon where we are and to be our best self when life is going well. That's a, a component of resilience, actually. So bringing um, these classes and events to the community is meant to do that. Like I had so many clients that would come into my office and say, why did it take me getting here, therapy, to learn all of this, which is essentially resilience? You don't have to. You know, you can do it in your daily life, even when the sky doesn't seem like it's falling too. I love that. It's good for both ways, the hard and the good times. Yeah, absolutely. So you bring up resilience um, and we are solely going to focus on that today. Um, Can you just give us a basic definition of what resilience is? Mm -hmm. So resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity. That's kind of the core Webster's dictionary definition. Um, It's being able to handle challenge and rise to the occasion and also come out on the other side with growth, with um, a positive change. The other 
the other part of resilience that we don't necessarily hear about as much, um, but is very, very important, is that like we were just talking about, resilience is also about learning how to live life and take it in when things are going well, how to be our best self when life is when life is good. And so we're not only building these inner resources of resilience to handle the challenge, but we're also um, cultivating them to experience the fullness and breath of life. So obviously that is a trait that we want our children to have. So what are some ways we can go about helping our children develop that? Yeah. Well, so first we're, we're all born resilient. It's not like we have it or we don't have it. Um, there used to be a belief that it was that way, but, it, but it's not, we all have it. And it's also learnable and teachable and trainable. We can strengthen it. So yes, do some people come into the world, maybe primed to be more resilient because of epigenetics or because of just straight DNA and genes and temperament and, and those things that we just kind of innately have. Yeah. Um, but for those who don't necessarily have that or grew up with some kind of adversity or even in the womb, right? We know that that this womb experience, the, the infant in the womb is very much receptive to the stress and experiences that the mom is, is having. So even when when we start off, even before we take our first breath with a lot of tension and stress, um, all of that can be built. So I just want to put that out there because sometimes there's a myth about like, well, this person is just not resilient and this person is. No, we all have it. In fact, our, the strengths of resilience are hardwired into our nervous system. Like that is, you know, like, you are literally designed to flourish, not to crumble. And I think that is a very, very important message that we take in and digest and, and eventually choose to believe. Yeah, I think just knowing that we are designed to flourish, not to crumble, just knowing that and having that like in the back of your mind, mm -hmm. that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And if we can speak that to our kids, um, I think that's kind of an amazing thing, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So when it comes to kids, um, when we think about, you know, what are some strategies to help build resilience? Just real quick before we dive into that. Um, one, one aspect, again, that we're not necessarily real attentive to um, is taking into consideration our own like inner child. <laughs> because here you are, this adult who was once a child, right? And is now parenting this, this little person, this, this little human. And how we do that, how we parent, and like we talked in our last podcast, is very dependent on our own early childhood experiences. So I would encourage anyone who's like really motivated or even, um, curious or maybe concerned about how do I do this for my kids, my first suggestion is to take a step back and be curious about yourself. You know, where, how did I build resilience? Where, where am I at? Like, where's, where's kind of my level? Um, what kind of relationship do I have with that inner kid in me? 
Because oftentimes in our parenting, we will, um, when we're reactive to something that is annoying or bothersome that our kids do, usually it's because of something our early experiences, our inner kid and us developed some intolerance to. So we're not necessarily reacting to our kid. We're reacting to maybe some of the implicit memory that our body carries, you know, or maybe the explicit memory of like specific things that happened or people we interacted with. So we have to really, really have a, a gentle self-suspicion of ourselves too, um, which I think just helps us then to cultivate and foster this for our kids. So we're not entangled, you know, we're more individuated from, from the experience with them. Yeah. And I think that's going to tie into a little bit of what we talk about later with co-regulation, right? Where mm -hmm. we are aware of our own experiences and our own thoughts and feelings about whatever it is that's going on with our child and kind of like centering ourselves before mm -hmm. reacting to what it is our child is or isn't doing, right? Yep. Yep, absolutely. And we'll, we'll go there. I just wanted to put that out there and preface it so that from the get-go, we have like this grounded awareness and that, oh, it's a me and a we thing. Um, okay. So some strategies. Yeah, there are some um, pieces that support resilience and essentially that threaten it. Can you get into a little bit of that or am I getting ahead of us? Um. So by threat, are you talking about like the like the protective features and the risk features. Yeah. Okay. So um, when it comes to how kids flourish and develop over time, um, we have what are called protective features. These are um, both environmental and um, innate um, nurture, you know, nature and nurture features that kind of uh, build up our nervous system to handle stress. And so some of those protective features are um, a safe and loving home. Um, uh, obviously, um, a safe environment to, li to live in, you know, uh, shelter and things like that. Um, but then also attention, you know, like we talked about in that first podcast that we did, like being seen, soothed, be made safe, secure. Those are all protective features. A lot of our protective features have to do with the connection. So one of the number one predictors of resilience in kids is feeling safe and connected with another person. And usually that's our primary caregiver. Um, so that forms those protective features, but then also, you know, kind of like our genetic load too, that, that also can, um, you know, have a protective layer for us. Um, exercise, you know, what we're taking into our body, um, the, the, the peers that we're with, you know, so I mean, kind of like the commonsensical things like, okay, these are the things that support our well-being. Mm -hmm. um, then we have the risk factors and the risk factors being neglect, abuse, dismissiveness, inconsistency, poor nutrition, unsafe environment, and so if you think of it like um, like seesaw, um, we, we all have, I mean, life is hard, right? <laughs> so no kid is growing up in this like beautiful flowery environment. Um, we're all human, just 
dysfunction is just a part of life. <laughs> um, so when we think about like how we tip this scale, we really want to have the goal or the aim is to have more protective features than risk factors. Okay, so to weigh to weigh them out, and some kids are really heavy on the risk factors, and that's when we see kids who have what's called ACEs or um, um, childhood adversity, and that very much comes from trauma and abuse and neglect and um, not being seen, soothed, secure, safe. So when I think about this, like from my own life experience and as a kid, I, I had a classmate who, you know, even at that young age, this was like elementary school, I could recognize that her life was very different from mine, her home life. And I was incredibly blessed to have two amazing parents. Um, my mom was home with us. My dad was, you know, working and providing. And um, it was just a great experience for me. And, you know, I look back now and now I know what I know about her situation. But even as a child, I could recognize that. Um, and when we're talking about, you know, that seesaw and the protective factors and those risk factors, um, you know, I can see just with someone who, you know, doesn't have the same nurture and all of like surrounding themselves by the right people and all of that stuff that promotes well-being can just really be hard, <laughs> um, <laughs> But when I think about the word resilient, that particular classmate is who comes to my mind. So mm -hmm. I'm curious as we get into this conversation more like, you know, she seemed to have everything stacked against her mm -hmm. um, and she's come out on top. You know what I mean? So I'm really curious to continue this conversation and hear more about that and like the adverse childhood experiences um, mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, what we find is we're very familiar with post-traumatic stress, mm -hmm. right? We hear that a lot. There's also something called post-traumatic growth. I can't remember if we talked about this in our previous podcast or not, but post-traumatic growth is essentially the resilience that we find on the other side of really hard. And we need to know that, again, you're designed, you are more likely to have post-traumatic growth and you are to have post-traumatic stress, just innate. But then when we have an environment or people who can speak that into us, who can show us that that is also an option, um, you know, then we have that much more propensity to experience that. And so likewise, I have many people that I know personally, and then certainly many people that I've worked with, who I just, especially some of the clients that I've worked with who've experienced just atrocious trauma. Like, what? <laughs> how, how are you able to speak those words of wisdom and kindness and compassion and, and clarity um, and to have the life that you're living right now? There is, um, there is a mystery to it too. You know, there is something that we just stand back and wonder and awe and appreciation that this exists that it unfolds itself sometimes in this way. Um, 
there is more that we don't know than we do know when it comes to the brain, the nervous system, you know, just how we manage life in general. Um, but just to answer that question with the, the knowledge of post-traumatic growth, you know, that we do have things, things and people and experiences that come into our life that, that really help raise us from the depths um, to a much higher place where we're able to flourish and, and really thrive. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think about that situation and it's just like, you know, even graduating high school, I never would have thought that she would have accomplished what she's accomplished. And I'm just so proud of her. And mm -hmm. it's amazing to see. And it, yeah, like you said, I know that that's, that's everywhere. And it kind of stems back to the, the saying, and this is something I've heard over and over throughout my life with my background in education and um, child development, kids are resilient. And it comes back to, you know, we have the ability to flourish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we, we kids um, are innately resilient. They're innately mindful. You know, it's a lot, the things that take away from our resilience are a lot of the things that we learn throughout adolescence and adulthood. You know, it really kind of takes us away from our birthright of being present, of being, you know, feeling strong. And so we do have to reclaim it as we get older. So coming back to kids, right? Coming back to like, what, what can we do as parents, right? Number one is pause kind of assess your own self, you know, where you're at um, in your own resilience and just how you relate to your own childhood. Uh, so then, then when we think about like specific kind of strategies, you know, I wrote a couple, I wrote a couple down and it was interesting because before we have, before we're having this conversation, I was having dinner with my family and I said, okay, boys, I have three boys. I have a 15 year old, a 13 year old and a 10 year old. And I said, wait, Everybody come back to the table, right? Because everybody wants to like leave immediately. I'm like, I need your help. Um, so I asked them, I asked them, I said, well, first I said, can you define resilience to me? And I was actually a little mortified that here I am a resilience teacher. And my kids are like, um, resistance to <laughs> like, okay, let, let's, let's, let's come back to what, what is resilience? And they knew it's just hard to put into words, right? You kind of like, you know it. And that's the cool thing about resilience is that we feel it. You know, sometimes it's hard to explain it because it's just this like inner sensory experience of strength. And so um, when I asked, I said, okay, what, what builds you up? Because essentially that's what resilience is. It's, you know, we're building up our, our strengths, our inner strength to deal, to deal with life or to manage the challenges when they, when they arise. And so um, my 10 year old said, when somebody helps me. And so we had a conversation about that because my 15 year old, who is, you know, very much in this adolescent rebellious in, in individuation, you know, wonderful child, but going through all the developmental stages, um, has a hard time asking for help. You know, it's kind of like, I can do it all on my own. I know better kind of thing. And my 10 year old saying, but when somebody helps me is when I feel resilient. And so we talked about how asking for help is a sign of courage, not of weakness. And resilience is very much about 
courage, recognizing the courage that's already within us and then building it up. And then my 11 year old said, um, when someone's on your side that you trust. And so then we had a conversation about how one of the biggest predictors of our resilience is this safe and secure connection with someone. So these are my kids who have no idea about the research that's out there, who just are, you know, organically speaking to what they feel. Um, and then when I said, when I asked, you know, what doesn't support your resilience, you know, what kind of tears you down? My 10 year old said being yelled at. Okay. Which, you know, is something as parents, everybody has a different parenting style, right? And whether you're strict, whether you're softer, whether you're, um, you know, confront, whether you avoid, that's part of your family culture, you know, like how, how do you attend to, how do you react as a parent and how are kids responding to that? So again, that's a sort of self-reflective for me as a, as a mom, like, okay, I take that into consideration. That doesn't mean that we're going to avoid conflict, but there may be a way that I can approach it that my, my 10 year old will receive it in a more building way than a tearing down way. Um, my other son said making a mistake on a test. Um, and then my other son said being embarrassed. So again, these are all just like, that's something I would encourage parents who are curious and want to know more about their kids is to really like ask your kids, what helps you? What doesn't help you? What does mom do? What does dad do that, you know, builds you up or, or doesn't build you up? So those were just some answers like real life from my kids. But here are just kind of some bullet points. So um, if we, when we teach our kids how to be problem solvers, that's really important because it helps them build what we call a sense of agency. And the sense of agency says, I can do this. I have the capacity to make change happen. I have the capacity to have good judgment. So we avoid rescuing their suffering, you know? So allowing them to kind of go through the distress of figuring this out. I see you nodding your head. You can really- <laughs> Yes. I wish people, I should record like the full video and audio um, because I honestly am just nodding along with everything you're saying and just thinking of how this pertains to my life right now. I mean, you have the perspective of um, the teenage years right now, and I'm in the thick of it. In mm-hmm. but I mean, mm-hmm. my boys at the time of this recording are 20 months and just over three. So it's full force in my house and it takes a lot for me to respond in a way at times um, where I am not yelling or upset and just really trying to like stay calm and mm-hmm. tend to them in a way where I know that my message is going to get across um, and not causing that unnecessary stress or distress, I guess you would call it. Um, because I noticed that when I do yell and it happens, like I'm not a perfect parent, I'm learning as I go. Um, I do have a background in child development and education. So I have a lot of tricks up my sleeve. However, there are days where, you know, just yesterday, my child threw a toy because he was feeling upset. It hit the Christmas tree and broke an ornament. And I, my response was to yell, like, 
there was mm-hmm. glass on the floor, you know, and mm-hmm. he immediately shut down. And I was like, mm-hmm. and that's why I try really hard not to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you bring up two really good points. So you mentioned distress and then like, so we have distress and then we have something called stress, and that's positive stress. So distress meaning like the negative, more harmful stress, stress, the positive stress. Problem solving is a positive stress, right? It's not threatening us. It's not hurting us or your little guy, you know, it, but it's stressful. It, it, it's anxiety producing um, to do that. And even as adults, <laughs> you know, for us to be able to sit with a problem and really work through it. Um, and then the other point that you had was that he shut down. So when, when our kids don't grow up feeling like they have the capacity and the ability to solve problems, they shut down in the face of adversity. They, they do. And so you're seeing it, right? You, we can like visually get this like sensory input from our kids of what that experience is like. So something to be mindful of, right? We, 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 we work for, there's no perfect parenting, right? We already talked about this, throw that one out the window. Um, but we work to be mindful and to modulate and then co-regulate, which we'll get into. Yeah. And that's what I was going to bring up and ask about next. So like in my mind, like I know that I shouldn't have yelled. It was my response. And when I do, you know, and I see him respond in that way. So I immediately like take a breath, calm Mm -hmm. my body. If I'm not already at his level, get at his level, look him in the eye and say, I'm sorry for yelling Mm -hmm. and just reconnecting with him because I know that when I do that after a response where I've, you know, not acted in the way that I wanted to as a parent, um, I know that I automatically want to reconnect with him. And we kind of talked about that. I think in our last Mm -hmm. podcast was the repair, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's another thing that we can do to help build resilience in our kids is to own up to our own mistakes, you know, to teach them what it's like and to talk about recovery from something that's difficult for us to model it for them. So modeling our own resilience or modeling our coping skills for our kids also helps them to, you know, build and strengthen that within them. Um, So, and I know your viewers can't see it, but did we do this last time? The hand model of the brain? We did something. I'm not sure if it was that. <laughs> okay. I can't, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't remember either, but just a quick review because there may be new people watching, okay, or um, listening in. So if you think of your brain in a, or you think of your hand, sorry, shape your hand like a fist um, where your thumb is tucked under your fingers, that's a model of your brain. Okay, and it sits in your head like this, so that their knuckles here is like right behind your eyebrows. When we experience some sort of stress, this part of our brain, this lower part of our brain, the um, limbic system, which houses our hippocampus and our amygdala, which are primarily responsible for emotions, behavioral regulations, memory, um, this part of our brain in here gets activated. So like, let's say the thumb, okay, underneath my fingers here gets activated so that it turns off this upper part of our brain, which is our executive functioner, 
Our executive functioner helps us to name, tame, reason, find logic, judgment. Okay, so it, it controls and manages the upstairs controls the downstairs. So when we get really upset, right? Ornament is now broken glass on the floor. Ooh, I flip, we call it flipping our lid. Okay. okay, so this part of our brain that normally manages our emotions and keeps them in check is now turned off. Like it's literally kind of like going into a room and turning off the lights. It can't see. So now the only thing that's really in the room is this part of you that is like, I can't believe this happened. Now I got to clean this up. Oh my gosh, so-and-so is coming over. Oh my, did you cut your finger? Right? This overreactor. So like you said, what I try to do is I take a breath and maybe like give myself an extra beat. When we do that, we're helping to re-engage this top part of our brain, the executive functioner. So all of a sudden we're like dimming the lights to back on okay. and we are able to see more clearly. We're able to have rational thinking. So we call this, when the lid is flipped, we call this the red zone. We call this the green zone. Okay, so this is an integrated brain. This is a non-integrated brain. When we're in this green zone place, okay, where the, the executive functioner, the top brain is managing the lower brain, um, then we're in co-regulation. Then we're in a place where we can relate to one another. And we're in a place where we are able to then help our kids get to this place too. Because he threw that ornament or the whatever it was, sippy cup or whatever it was that, that broke the ornament from the red zone place, right? He His lid was flipped too. So here we have like a parent and a child in this red zone place. There's no logic. You know, it's all emotion. So as the adult, because you know better, right, than your little guy. One of the ways that we bring that back in, like you said, is getting to his level, empathizing, bringing emotion back into it, relating to where he is, or like overreacting, and then beginning to soothe and calm that state of arousal. Does that make sense? Yes, I love that. I don't think we talked about that. Okay, yeah, we maybe didn't. But I, yes, that is a great example. So when, when both of our, our lids are flipped, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a way to, for me as a parent, any parent out there to not get to that point? Like, or does that just, <laughs> does that just happen? And then you have to co-regulate. Yeah. Yes. So practices. So the, the more resilient we are, so when we say like bouncing back from adversity, it's kind of like saying the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not quicker, but the quicker we are able to return back to the green zone. Okay, so we're able to kind of like close that lid. Say it again. Recover. Recover, yeah. Yep, thank you, that is the word. Recover, the quicker we are to recover. So I wish you know, there was some like definitive, yes, this is like, if you just do these things, you will never flip your lid. <laughs> no, that's not how the nervous system works. Um, we have fight, flight, freeze, fawn. You know, we have the sympathetic part of our nervous system. That is, it's good. It's meant for survival. It just um, operates on a threat mode when it doesn't necessarily need to. So, um, practices in resilience or um, like mindfulness, 
meditation, those are really well researched in um, keeping our brains more integrated so that we're less likely to flip and we're more likely or better able to recover after. So your viewers can't see it, but I'm kind of flipping my fingers up and down to model what that, what that looks like or what that means. Yes. Same with exercise, um, movement. You know, there's a, there are a lot of things that we can do to help modulate um, and regulate from the green zone to the red zone. And that's a lot of the work that I do with my individual clients or in the community classes that I'm running um, is we learn how to recognize that, to be in tune with ourselves, to notice the cues that our body sends us because the brain looks to the body to know how to feel. And so we're very disconnected from our body. So to be able to kind of take a deep dive into that sensory experience allows us to be a one step ahead of the game so that we're able to catch it, sort of that preventative measure of resilience. Okay, so when we have a child who is in distress, mm -hmm. and maybe it's that positive stress, that you stress we talked about, mm -hmm. their lid is flipped, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of what kind of stress it is. But when it's problem solving and learning something new that's a little bit hard, that's causing the stress, um, your brain as the parent is not. So you are like fully co-regulated at that point, right? Um, well, the co-regulate, yes. <laughs> so you, you are fully like regulated and helping your child to become regulated. Yes, that yes, point. that's a, yep, that's a more accurate description. Uh -huh. Yes, when we're regulated, it means that our our system is in harmony. It's not fighting against itself. Um, and so that green zone place, that integrated brain supports the parasympathetic nervous system, which is like the, the calming, the, the restful, the, um, you know, we're, we're much more able to think clearer in those places. And so when you're regulated, um, you are in a more effective position to help your little person find their own regulation. And between the energy and the information that's exchanged between the two of you is where the co-regulation happens. And when you brought up before, you know, how your child was saying, when someone helps me, that's when I feel resilience. Mm -hmm. Like you're helping them problem solve. So like in the case of my, my three-year-old getting frustrated by doing a puzzle, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm down on the floor with him scaffolding for him so that, you know, I'm kind of placing the pieces where, where he can see that, oh, that piece must go with that one. So I'm placing them in a way to kind of help him mm -hmm. problem solve. Um, mm -hmm. where, again, this is a situation where he might get upset and like toss a puzzle piece because he's a little distressed, but where I'm you know, fully present and, you know, in my, my regulated, my, my lid is not flipped. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, he's at that point, you know, learning to problem solve and building resilience because it's like a positive stress, right? Yeah. And he probably feels secure. So we learn better when we feel safe, mm -hmm. you know, so versus, you know, the mom who is maybe like, 
super busy and trying to do dinner at the same time and got another kid that's calling for attention and we're just like super distressed and distracted in that moment. Now there's, you're human <laughs> again, right? I really, really stress like the humanity of our existence um, with an, you know, there's no shame in, in this. It's just uh, a circumstance that happens. Um, then the energy and information that's exchanged between you and that and, and that little person, your kid, um, they're not feeling like very secure, <laughs> very safe because this person who I depend on is clearly distressed, you know, or distracted. And so then their ability to do those same tasks and take in that problem solving opportunity is different. So it's also important to recognize that um, in co-regulation, we are constantly responding to each other. You know, so you could be in this green zone, you know, my lid is down place and your kid, I don't know, poops on the floor, <laughs> you know, or something, right? It, it, it's happened. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden there's a, ah, right? And, and so we go back and forth, kind of flipping our lids, putting them down, flipping our lids, putting them down. So as the parent, as the parent, because we know better, um, but we also need help, you know, so we need our village, like we talked about before, to go to, to help us regulate. Um, you know, we are in the position to be able to be quite an influence on how that co-regulation plays out over time. So when we come back to this, this whole idea of building resilience in our children, mm -hmm. it's not a fixed point at all. It's constant back and forth and an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, because we have thankfully this neuroplasticity where it's essentially our brain is malleable. It is changes in response to our experiences, we always have the opportunity to begin again. And so when it comes to resilience, resilience is very much about beginning again. Um, so fostering a growth mindset in our kids, that's another thing that we can do to help build resilience for them, um, to not see mistakes as failure, but to see them as opportunities for growth um, and for learning. So it, 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 it is, it's something that in every age and stage of life with our kids is gonna be a different experience with them in this building of, of resilience. Um, so it's really important for us to model our own coping skills for them as well too, um, so that they can see how it plays out in real life. Um, so don't hide your self-care. Um, you know, if breathing, taking a few breaths is really good for you, invite them to do it with you. Make a game out of it. Um, we use a meditation bell on our, um, on our dinner table, like before dinner. And it's just one thing that I've incorporated into our family. It's a way that it's something for me that's very centering. It helps me to just have a moment of silence and stillness in this ridiculously busy worlds, <laughs> you know, that we're in, especially right now during the holidays. So this bell that we ring, um, 
I really hope that my kids grow up and remember this as something that was like grounding, you know, that works, that's important, that has purpose, that's meaningful. So any of these self-care things that we do that we can model for our kids are great for them to see and be a part of. Yes. And for my listeners, I know um, in previous episodes, I've talked with others too about um, using meditation apps, you know, within your daily routines, bedtime routine. Um, Another resource that has been mentioned in the past has been the Zenimal for kids, which is Mm -hmm. like a, have you heard of that? Mm -mm. It's like a a toy, not really a toy, but an object uh, they keep in their room. And then it, it's not a screen, but basically goes through some meditations with them. And it's like a little, it's really cool. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking of getting that for my boys. Um, But yeah, just building those into daily routines can help. Um, Jennifer, what are some other resources? I mean, this has been a really great conversation and we could go on and on and on. I know, I know, I know. But what Um, other resources that we can point people to? So um, one of my favorite resources, and it's a free resource, it's called the Big Life Journal. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't, no. So it's at biglifejournal.com. And um, it's a mom and husband, a wife and wife and husband group, well, couple that started it. And it is, you can sign up for their um, like weekly newsletter, email list, and they have created all sorts of different resources for parents to incorporate resilience and well-being in with their kids. And it's also very growth mind. Um, growth mindset focused, but it is from, I would say like itty bitty range to like the teen, middle, middle teen range. They have a couple different journals, um, that you can have like, so, um, there's two different ones and I should have pulled them out before we talked, but they're just really user-friendly, very engaging for kids, like neat kind of, um, cartoonish, um, exercises that you can do, but I would highly encourage your, your listeners to sign up for their newsletter. I'm not affiliated with them at all, but I've used a lot of their um, material in my work. Um, another great book is called The Yes Brain by Dr. Um, Daniel Siegel. And The Yes Brain is all about um, helping our kids to develop a a mind and an experience that is open and curious versus the no brain that kind of um, shuts us down to understanding others and trying new things. And so this yes brain concept encourages um, courage, curiosity, and resilience. And Dr. Dan Siegel, who I'm I'm sure you're very familiar with, um, is just uh, our nation's leader when it comes to, you know, the research um, and the study of child development yeah. and, and also resilience. Yeah. Um, one other thing that you mentioned made me think of something else. Oh, that, that the zoo, what's it called? Zoo? Oh, the Zenimal. Oh, Zenimal. Mm-hmm. So something that I've gotten for my kids, and again, I can send it to you so you can maybe link it into the podcast. Sure. Um, it is this like like stuffy, it's like a lovey, you know, a stuffed animal that has a zipper for a mouth. And it's meant for your kids to have a place to write down or scribble, even doesn't have to be words, 
for your little, little guys, um, their thoughts, their feelings, worry monster. That's what it's called, a worry monster. And then they put that little piece of paper or drawing into the mouth of this worry monster and they zip it up so that it, it helps develop this practice of, I don't have to hold this. I don't have to carry this. I can let this go. And that is another really useful tool for our kids to understand early on. Very cool. I'm going to have to look that up and I will make sure to link all of that in our show notes as well. So Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. This has, like I said, I feel like I have a million more questions for you, but we don't have time. I know. I know. I appreciate the time um, talking about all of this too. It's so very important. And I think something that is a part of our natural thinking as parents and to have a platform and the opportunity to put this out there um, is a blessing to others. So I think it's really neat what you're doing. Well, thank you. So where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Because you are doing incredibly important work too out there. Thank you. Um, I finally have a website and that takes a very long time. (laughs) Um, It is called fivepeakslife.com and that's with a numeral five, numeral five, P-E-A-K-S-L-I-F-E.com. So I'm there. I'm also on Instagram at Five Peaks Life and then um, Facebook page at Five Peaks Life. So coming up for me, I'm going to be speaking at the Lake Country Currents event on January 8th on resilience. Um, This is for the women. Now we're talking about kind of the adult resilience. We're going to go over these 12 primary inner strengths of resilience. Again, that are hardwired into our nervous system. We already have it. We're just learning that to recognize it's there and to build it upon it. Um, And then I also am having some really fun things coming up in the new year, a couple different classes and events that I'll be hosting. And then also really hoping to start a movement class um, through Evolve Community Center that's going to be opening up in Heartland. Very cool. So make sure listeners, you follow along with Jennifer, um, get on her email list if you're not already on it. I I have a newsletter you can subscribe to too. Mm -hmm. And that's linked on the, the website. Perfect. So I will make sure all of that is linked in the show notes as well. So you can easily find everything. Jennifer, thank you again. This was just a lovely conversation. And to my listeners, you know that if you have other needs for sleep resources, you can check out lakecountrysleep.com, check out the blog, listen to some other podcast episodes. I will also link our other podcast episode that Jennifer and I did last April about um, what is secure attachment and how we can foster that in our children. Um, and we will see you next time. If you found today's episode of the Coffee and Catnaps Parenting Podcast helpful, relevant, timely, relatable, we hope that you subscribe to the show, follow along, leave us a five-star rating and review, and share this with your friends. Your ratings and reviews help grow the show so that we can bring this awesome resource to parents ever.